football, Friday Night Lights, but um, growing up in this area, though, especially as uh, a high school student, man, my, I remember my Sunday afternoon, especially when it came fall and um, progressed into December, and, and for me, I got to experience January football, right? I know some of you guys don't know what that is, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, I got to, to grow up with the likes of, of watching uh, Troy Aikman, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvin, all those guys. Um, and I will never forget Sunday afternoons. We always knew whether they were playing at 12 or 3. Sometimes uh, we didn't have Sunday night football then, but uh, Monday night they would play. And so uh, just remember uh, that Emmett Smith was going to get the ball. He was going to get the ball a lot, you know, 20-plus times uh, a game and it was going to be Troy Aikman always handing it off to Emmett. Um, you know what's interesting, though, is, is does anybody know who handed the ball off to Emmett Smith when he became the um, all-time leader rusher? Who handed the ball off to him? This, this is actually, if, if you know this this morning, Brian Reedy, do you know? Yeah, I think you know, or, or Paula knows. <laughs> I think it was Chad Hutchinson. I think. I think it was Chad Hutchinson. He, he actually a good guy. But anyway, um, and he's in the record books of <laughs> getting handed off. But Troy Aikman, was, that was always what I remember about Sunday afternoon. He was always dishing the ball to, to Emmett Smith, always dishing the ball to Emmett Smith. Um, and Emmett had, obviously, tons of God-given abilities. Um, he had an offensive line that was pretty studly, uh, pretty amazing. Um, there was a cast around him, but God had gifted him. God had given him a, a lot of talents. And today, as we think about what we're about to uh, study, as George just read, I, I want us to think about having the ball handed off to us. Because that's what we see here today. Jesus is, is handing the ball off of ministry to the disciples. And he's also handed the ball off of ministry to you and I who believe in him as Lord and Savior. He has handed the ball of ministry off to us to go and do what he has done and modeled for us in the world. And so today, as as we look at this text, I I want you to realize that, that that Jesus is handing the ball off to you and I, all right? Now, Jacob, will you catch this because I don't know what I'm going to do with this out here. All right, I should have kicked it. I'm better at kicking (laughs) Good catch. They were clapping for you. They're clapping. They're worried. They're worried. They were. Yeah. Actually, you played. Didn't you play football? Yeah. So, yeah. So maybe they were clapping for me. They're like, could he throw it? Could he do that? I don't know. Anyway. All right. So look at the text. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. It says here that Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And so here is Jesus handing the ball off of ministry to the disciples. And so the first thing I want you to see here is he calls them together. These 12 that he is calling together this time, he is also called specifically for a specific calling in their life. Um, If you remember, we just briefly looked at it in Luke chapter 6 in verses uh, 13 through 16, Jesus mentioned these 12 specific. Now remember, Jesus had other disciples. 
There were other people who followed him, other people who learned from him and were taught by him and were being trained and equipped as they sat under his teaching. Other people who were saved. And so these 12 specifically had a role that they were to play as they specifically were the 12 that hung out with Jesus, uh, witnessed his, his life, eventually will witness his death and his resurrection as well. Uh, we'll see them have a, uh, a key influence in the beginning of the church uh, as they experience Pentecost together. And so these 12, as we will see through the Gospel of Luke, will start to play more of a significant uh, role as they come up more. Uh, specifically, though, he calls them apostles in Luke chapter 6. Now, the word apostles literally means sent out ones. Sent out ones. And so these were ones who were sent out to witness, to be ambassadors, to proclaim who Jesus is. That's what their life was to be about. And who are they? There's Simon, the scripture tells us, which is also called Peter, okay? Uh, his brother, uh, Andrew. James and John, do you remember them? Sons of Thunder, right? Can you imagine having that as your nickname today? You'd kind of come out in church and you'd have like ACDC playing, you know, Sons of you know, Thunder. You know, that, I don't know if that, that would fly. But anyway, I mean, it's cool to think about just for a moment. Um, but uh, Philip and Bartholomew, uh, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called the Selet, Judas the sons of of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Um, Jesus called these men to follow him. They were fishers of men. So he didn't call them just to hang out with him, to, to sit with him, and uh, you know, just to, to blog about him or to you know, put a little post on Facebook or to just like him. I mean, that, that wasn't what they were called to. But these 12 were, were called by Jesus that Jesus could hand the ball off of ministry to them, that they would go and do the ministry of Jesus in the world. So he calls these 12 together, but it also tells, them he get, tells us he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to also heal diseases. And so what we see here is those that Jesus calls, he also equips. He sends these disciples out, not on their own to do Ministry, not on their own ability, not on their own power, but he empowers them. He gives them power, authority over the demons, and also to heal diseases. So he gives them power first. The word power is the word dynamis. What does that remind you of? When you hear the word dynamis, it's dynamite, okay? That's the same word. So he gives them power. He gives them this uh, spiritual ability, this, this power that is completely outside themselves, to do the work of ministry. And then he gives them authority. He gives them the right to exercise this power. And so the 12 received this authority over all demons and diseases as well to heal. You remember Jesus on one occasion, the disciples were, were trying to uh, heal this one who was demon-possessed. And they were praying, uh, or excuse me, they were asking Jesus, Jesus, why can we not call this demon out of this person. And you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, this can only come out by prayer and fasting. And so it was the lesson. that They were doing ministry just on their own ability instead of this power and authority that Jesus had given them, trusting and depending on this power that Jesus had given them. They needed to pray. They needed to fast. And so 
The disciples didn't always get it right, right, as they went out, but God had given them. Jesus had given them what they they needed as they went out to minister. Then look at verse 2. It says, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So he sends them. Specifically, he sends these 12 on this specific mission. And what were they to do? Proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. You might call this journey they're about to go on kind of like a a short-term mission trip, right? Kind of a short-term mission trip. I I love short-term mission trips. I I think they're like taste and see experiences where you can go and you got this focused time where you're going and serving, but it's to encourage not only to serve during that week, but when you come back that you would continue to live a life of ministry. And so they go out on this journey with this mission. This specific mission was primarily first to proclaim the kingdom of God just as Jesus had done. And so Jesus wanted them to have a concern for the souls of others, that they would know the truth about Jesus Christ. Do we, do we have a concern for the souls of others? Do do we care where people are going to spend eternity? Jesus wanted his 12 to care about the souls of others. As they went out, they proclaimed the kingdom of God. Primarily, they proclaimed who Jesus is. That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Messiah. The one who came to save. And as we go out, we proclaim the same. We proclaim that Jesus came. That he came to die. They came to die. They laid his life down so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. That there's nothing that you and I can do. We can't be good enough. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn the kingdom of God. We can't earn heaven on our own. But we must totally depend on Jesus Christ and that he took our place so that we would not have to die for sin, but that he died for sin in our place. And that he rose again, that he conquered death. That his conquering of death, that those who believe in him, that we too are victory over the punishment, the penalty of sin, which is eternal death. And that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too are victorious over the grave, over eternal death. And so we communicate that. We proclaim that. These go out proclaiming the kingdom of God. Not only did they care for the souls of others, but they also cared for the physical needs, the, the bodies of others. They performed healings. Why was this significant? In that context, this was significant. It was significant before the Jews to show that this message that the disciples was proclaiming about Jesus and the kingdom of God, that God was behind their preaching, that God was behind what they were proclaiming, and the miracles and the healings would testify to that. And so Jesus gave them power. Jesus gave them authority, not only to proclaim, but also to perform these healings. And so he hands the ball off to these 12. So this morning, again, I want us to see here, that's what he's done for those who believe in him this morning, that we have been handed the ball of ministry to go out and proclaim the kingdom of God. The Bible tells us in many places our role in that. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. 
Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what he's given to us. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, because of that, we are what? We are ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are ambassadors of Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. And Paul says, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So that's what we have been handed This ministry of reconciliation, we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, begging the world, making an appeal to them to come to Jesus Christ. And in Matthew 28, remember the commission that Jesus gave to these 12, these disciples. Jesus came up, spoke to them. He said, all authority has been given to me in 18, and he says, in heaven and on earth. And then he tells them, verse 19, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, all the nations. That's why we go to Serbia. That's why we support Train Randy in Serbia. That's why we go to France, Lyon, France. That's why we support the marshals and the church planning there. Why? Because we have been called to go. That's why we teach the word and we encourage this because who knows, God may call us to go to the nations. It's not just getting on an airplane. That's significant. That's important. Not just about getting on a bus and crossing a border. Even here, that we are called to the nations to do what? To baptize others, to, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples, and to teach all that Jesus has commanded. And Jesus gives us a promise. When we do that, when we do that, he promises, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. And so as you go, he promises to be with us. This past week, I was having lunch with a friend who's also in ministry, and we were talking just about the faithfulness of people, the faithfulness of people in, in giving, and specifically we're talking about the faithfulness of people in, in giving to send kids to camp with scholarships. And sometimes camp can be such a significant experience uh, for, during the summer for kids and, and where that specific week of just that, that specific time of learning about Jesus away from home and just focused and, and, and having attention on Jesus. And we were just talking about just the significance and the importance of that. And I love what he said. He said, it's, it's people like that that make Jesus go in this world. I thought, what, a, what an interesting line. I, in fact, I said, repeat that. <laughs> he said, it, it's people like that that make Jesus go in this world. I thought, man, that, isn't that what we want to be? We want to be people who make Jesus go. And we do that as we serve. You know there's people on the other side of these walls that are making Jesus go this morning. In the lives of, of some of your kiddos, they make Jesus go. When we serve, that's what we do. When we give of our resources, that's what we're doing. When we love and serve and tell others about Jesus Christ, we are making Jesus go in this world, and that's what he's called us to do. But something I want you to see also about these 12 and as Jesus is calling them out and about what ministry really is about, it's about others, isn't it? Ultimately, it's about the glory of God, but when we see this lived out, it's about us living for others. It's about us putting the needs of others before ourselves. That's what Paul said. Using the model of Jesus in Philippians 2, 3, 4, 4, do you remember what he said? He said, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. That's what life is about as the disciple of Jesus. As a disciple of Jesus, it is to live for the glory of God. And how do we do that? By truly living and serving others, putting their needs before our own. We, that's tough, though. We live in a world of me, myself, and I. We live in a world and a generation of entitlement where we feel like we deserve, we're owed things and stuff. And so ministry bucks that view and says, no, our life is to be about others. And so Jesus says, as I send you out, here's how I want you to go. Listen to what he says, verse 3 through 5. Taking nothing for your journey, he tells them, neither a staff nor a bag. Okay, so don't take like a, a beggar's bag with you, like a knapsack or anything like that. Don't take that. And then he says, nor bread, so no food, nor money. And do not even have two tunics, tunics excuse me, a piece. That's undergarments. Hello, all right? So, so we're, we're going out... And what are we doing? We're being truly dependent on Jesus for all our physical needs as we go, is what he's telling them. And then he says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And so he says, as you go, I want you to be dependent on me for everything, for your necessities, your clothes, your food, where you will stay, for your protection. I want you to trust me for everything. Just like the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, trust me. Don't worry about where your next meal is going to come from. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about where you're going to lodge at tonight. Don't worry about that. And so he says, as you go, you're going to find hospitality. You're going to have those who receive you. And as they do receive you, know that their acceptance of you is their acceptance of me. But you're also going to have people that oppose you. You're going to face opposition. And he says, as you do, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against those who oppose them. And so that's interesting. Back then, Jewish travelers, as they would journey, and if it took them through a, Jew, a Gentile region, what they would do is once they got past that area, they literally would shake the dust off their feet as a symbol of shaking off the uncleanness of Gentiles. And so Jesus is using that here in the same way. And he's saying, hey, listen, if they don't accept you, if they reject the message of the kingdom of God, shake the dust off your feet. And that was a way to show that the Jews' rejection of Jesus was no better than unbelieving Gentiles. So as you go, you will have hospitality, but you also have opposition but go depending on me and so as we do ministry that's what we're called to do is to depend on Jesus and then look at verse 6 departing they begin going through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere in the region of Galilee amazing so what do we see right here you can't miss this they obey and they go and they do ministry they do it in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ they go and they do ministry. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to do exactly what they do in verse 6, depart, right? It's like if you get on a train, you just can't sit in the station all day. If you get on a plane, you can't just sit in an airport all day, right? You got to depart at some point. You got to go and do it. And that's what we're called to do. 
We're called not just to sit. This isn't just a holding place to, to where we just sit, we, we hang out, and we just enjoy, and we figure out if we like the message or not this week, and if we like the songs this week. Um, it, it, we just don't come. We don't just put money in an offering plate to pay for goods and services uh, performed. That's not why we come. This, that's not why we come. This is to equip. This is to equip. Yes, it's a time of worship. Yes, it's a, it's a time of praising God together. But it is a time we come together as a team, as a body. And then the whole goal of this time is what happens, right? Usually about 11.15, but usually about 11.20. Okay, somewhere in between there. What, what, it's about what happens then that we are sent. We are sent. We are sent. And that you would leave this place more hungry for the word of God, that you would leave this place ready to go, to go, to go. And that's what these guys do. They go, and they, they, they go. They go in twos. They go together, and they begin the ministry. And look what happens. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening. He was greatly perplexed because it was said by, him, uh, by some that John the Baptist had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded. But who is this man? We're talking about Jesus. Whom I heard such things. And he kept trying to see him, to get a meeting with him. Now why in the world does Luke throw this in? Why does he throw this in? I think he does f- f- to help the readers. I think he does this for Theophilus to understand that the context that Jesus was sending the 12 out into was one that did not believe in the identity of, of Jesus being God. They questioned him. It was a very questioning society. They didn't know who he was. And so they were sent out to proclaim who Jesus was. They thought it could be John, could be Elijah, could be a prophet of old that had risen. Now, that's not too different from our day. People doubt, people wonder, people question, who is Jesus? What is this Christianity? It's all around us. That's the context of ministry that the disciples are in. It's the context of ministry that we are in. That we're to point people to Jesus and tell people who he is, why he came, and why we need him. Now, when you read verse 7, 8, and 9, I want to tell you this. Sometimes in this world, when we hear things like this, that people are questioning or people are doubting, when we hear the stories of the news, right? Especially, you know, some of you guys, man, one of the things that I try not to do and, and don't do is, is don't watch CNN news and don't watch Fox news, Right? Because I found out when I went through a period where, where news was what I watched, this is a while, while back, I can get discouraged. I can let it affect me, right? Right? And it's cause, just because it's all negative, but then, same time, some of it's reality of what's happening in the world. But I think what can happen sometimes is we can get so discouraged and down that it immobilizes us. It paralyzes us. But I want to encourage you to do the opposite. Right? I mean, this was the context. People were doubting who Jesus was, 
right? Many people say today, and we do, that we live in a post-Christian society. And, and so, yeah, it should grieve us, but that, that should grieve us in the sense of we've got opportunity. We've got opportunity. Not, not sit back and, oh, woe is me, Eeyore style. I mean, that's, that's not it, right? I love the story. Six m- women, 1939. Think about 1939, the era of depression. The Second uh, World War ramping up, right? And in Gainesville, Texas, there were six women that gathered together and to pray. And you know what they were praying about? The, the, the students in elementary, middle school, and high school in their little town in Gainesville, Texas, and praying that God would reach them, God would stir their hearts for his son, Jesus Christ, and they just would pray, and they would meet, and they would pray, and they would meet, and they would pray, and they would meet, and they would pray. And guess what was birthed out of that? Young life. Young life. Still ministering today, middle school, high school campuses all over the place. The focus, I want you to see that, is six women didn't get caught up in, woe is me, we're living in the depression. They didn't get caught up in, man, there's a World War II just breaking out and we're going to be sending men over there to fight. They are still focused on ministry, ministry, ministry. So we can't let the times that we live in, we can't let people who doubt Jesus, we can't let that discourage us. We see it as opportunity to pray. We see it as opportunity for ministry. And that's what the disciples did as they went out. They went in that kind of context. Then look at verse 10. They come back. So Jesus hands the ministry off to them. Then look at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they give an account to him of all that they had done, taking them uh, with him, he withdrew by himself to a city called Bethsaida. And so what happens here is the apostles come back, they hang out with Jesus, and what do they do? They give a debrief, right? They debrief with, with Jesus. They tell him everything that happened. I think this is so crucial, right? What, what happened this week? I told the 9 a.m. crew, I said, hey, when you're done serving today, I want you at lunch, or I want you tonight, with, with your spouse or with your family, I want you to debrief about your day of serving. I want you to debrief. I want you to tell about what God did in there. I want you to tell about little Eliana. If she has a snotty nose, I want, I want that mentioned. All right? You know, just, just speak about it. Tell about it, right? Tell about ministry. Talk about t- t- Celebrate what God has done, and they do that here. They debrief, right? Not only that, they get away to rest, and rest is significant. Okay, I think it's a spiritual discipline we've got to have. If we don't come apart and rest, this is what Vance Havner says, if we don't come apart and rest, we'll just simply come apart, right? Ministry can do that. So you've got to have times of rest as well. And then look what happens in verse 11. The crowds were aware of this, right? They're aware Jesus is around, right? He's around. There was a buzz. He's popular. And they followed him And look what happens. Welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. So Jesus, here's this time, he's getting away with his 12. They're talking about what took place on this day. And and then crowds like, they're with him again. Thousands are following him. And Jesus, that ever available Savior, doesn't tell them to get away because, hey, we're, we need rest. What does he do? He welcomes them. 
He ministers to them. He speaks to them. And look at verse 12. Now the day was ending. The 12 came and said to Jesus, send the crowd away <laughs> that they may go into the surrounding villages, countryside, and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. So think about this. The towns back then, there were some that maybe had like 3,000 people max. But most of the towns probably had 100, 200, maybe 300 or so people. So here you have, we're going to find out in just a second, 5,000 men. Okay, that's mentioned here. Probably the crowd size, if you include women, if you include kids, probably more around 20,000 people. Okay? And the disciples are like, hey, send them away into the countryside, into the villages. Well, there's, not, there's nowhere to go to get that much food and, and to provide lodging. And so practically speaking, that, that can't happen. They're very, in a very desolate place. And so here's the disciples just off of this journey of serving, putting the interests of others before their own, depending on Jesus for food, for clothes, for everything. And they're like, send them away. Let them go take care of themselves. But Jesus has something else in mind. Verse 13, 14, he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves, two fish, unless perhaps we go and buy food for all these people, right? I don't know, a little sarcasm there? Possibly, right? But it would take, like, feed that, go to a store? I mean, can you imagine the shopping experience to Costco or to Sam's? That many people? Wow. Wow. And so I love this. There's about 5,000 men, and Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down to eat. And groups of about 50 each. So he organizes them together. I love this. I love this scene. And they did so. The disciples did and had them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves, two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them. Now, I want you guys, as I read this, visualize this. So he's got the bread. He's got the fish. Jesus is looking up to heaven. He's praying to the Father. He blesses the food, breaks it, and kept giving them to the disciples to set for the people. I can't imagine the disciples. They, they go to the first 50. I'm thinking after the first 50, we're done. They, we're done, and we, how are we going to explain to the other 19,950 people? I don't know, right? But they just keep going back, and I imagine smiles on their face. I imagine eventually they're like hooping and hollering, like, oh my goodness, and just, I mean, this is an interesting scene, but Jesus is just praying and just dishing, praying and just dishing. Wow. It just keeps the bread of life, just giving bread, giving fish. And the disciples gave, and it says they all ate, everybody, and were satisfied. And the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up 12 baskets full. Well, it just happened to have 12 baskets. I mean, why not? You, what a lesson for the disciples. Not only are we going to provide for the 20,000, but we're going to have doggy bags for you guys, Right? I heard a story, and we'll wrap up on this, but Tony Evans, I just heard this this morning, and I'm thankful for my elders. 
one of them shared this with me. Tony Evans tells a story of this little old lady who was out of food and was poor as a mouse. She was, she was praying that God would provide it for her food. And one day she was completely out. She prayed, she prayed. And right next door to her was this rather wealthy man who had just moved in. He was part of revitalizing the area. And he would mock her faith. And he knew that she was praying this day for food. And so he thought to himself, I'm going to show her. I'm going to show her. She's praying and asking God for food. I'm, I'm going to show her. And so he goes to the store, and he buys her this bag of groceries and food. And so he comes to her house, and she's there. He says, listen, I, I, I'm going to show you that I'm the one providing you food, not your God. So he gives the lady the food. The lady takes it, kneels down, and prays and says, God, thank you for providing me food and for letting the devil pay for it. (laughs) I love that. I love that. (laughs) I love that. Isn't that what God does? Through the most interesting of ways. That was, a, that, was such, that was such a good one. I heard that this morning. I was like, I, I'm, I'm going to work that in. <laughs> Thanks, Jerry. We've got to trust God. And it's in the context of ministry here. I want you to see this. God, ministry is all the time. It is all the time. We are to serve and help proclaim the kingdom of God all the time to others. And as we do, we're to be dependent on him, trusting God for every need we have. And when we do that, when we become partners with Jesus in the doing of his mission, he enables us to provide even more grace, or excuse me, grace and blessing to others um, than we could ever by ourselves. And, And we see that modeled here. As this crowd is fed, satisfied, and even each disciple walking away with their own basket. That's what God does. And so this morning, I, I want you to see yourself as a disciple in the shoes, sandals of these guys. These guys. That we have been sent out just like them. We've been handed the ball of ministry to proclaim the gospel and to serve others. And as we do, we're dependent on him for everything. He's that ever-present, available, caring, helping Savior. And he wants us to depend and trust on him to be that. Let me pray for you.